through the, the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, a lot of times we, we focus on, and we think about the book of Daniel, we think of the lion's den, or we think of the fiery furnace. And those are the two things that we a lot of times just associate with the book of Daniel. You know, we, we learned those those two lessons are probably the ones that we pull out from for Sunday school and, and growing up. We probably heard lessons and sermons talk about those two things a lot. But there's a lot that's packed into the book of Daniel that we can learn about, that we can uh, learn from and apply to our own life. And last week we talked about, you know, basically putting our best foot forward, not being pulled by, by whatever it is, the society and the culture, maybe even the, 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 the microcosm of the family that we're in and sometimes their opinions, their ideas. To not be pulled this way and that, to be tossed to and fro on the ways, but to be pulled towards God, to follow Him, to not to not give in to all the things that we may have be trying to compel us to go other ways, but to resist those things, to resist those things and follow the Lord and to ultimately put our best foot forward, that we see that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the reason that they were so effective in their ministry is that it's the pure fact that they were there. They were in the palace with Nebuchadnezzar, and we see Balthazar and ultimately Darius and other kings. They were there because they put their best foot forward and they gave everything they had to try to be pleasing to God. We talked about that, to do everything as hardly as unto the Lord, be pleasing to God, and ultimately that put them in positions to be there when people needed to hear the voice of truth. Amen. And that we too should seek to put our best foot forward, do everything we can. If it's not going to pull you away from God, then, then just do it and follow through with if your work and your family and your education and relationships with people that put your best foot forward to be there, to be present, and God will open doors for you to be there when they need the voice of truth to be spoken to them. Amen. And this morning we're going to read about one of those instances where Daniel was the voice of truth. So Daniel chapter 5, verse 18 through 31 is what we'll be reading from today. You're more welcome to follow through uh, on the screen, or if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. But Daniel chapter 5, verses 18 through 31 is, is what we'll be reading about. But what we want to talk about today is good success, right? Good success. Now, we're going to talk about success, what it is, what it means in just a moment. But just keep that in your mind. Think about success. Go ahead and be processing that in your head as we read the Scripture, okay? So Daniel 5, verses 18 through 31. So it says, Your Majesty, this is Daniel talking. He has been invited by Belshazzar, who is now the king over the Chaldean Empire, the Babylonian Empire here. He says, Your Majesty, the Most High God, gave sovereignty, greatness, glory, and majesty to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. Because of the greatness he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages were terrified and fearful of him. He killed anyone he wanted and kept alive anyone he wanted. He exalted anyone he wanted and humbled anyone he wanted. But when his heart was exalted and his spirit became arrogant, he was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven away from people. His mind was like an animal's. He lived with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with dew from the sky until he acknowledged that the Most High God is ruler over the kingdom of men and sets anyone he wants over it. But you, his successor, Balthazar, have not humbled your heart even though you knew all of this. Instead, you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. The vessels from his house were brought to you, and you and your nobles, wives, and concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods made of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or understand, but you have not glorified the God who holds your life breath in his hand and who controls the whole course of your life. Therefore, he sent the hand, and this writing was inscribed. This is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. This is the inscription, this is the interpretation of the message. Mene means that God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel means that you have been weighed in the balance and found deficit. 
Perez means that you that your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Balthazar gave an order, and they clothed Daniel in purple, placed a gold chain around his neck, and issued a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. And that very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom at the age of 62. So that's Daniel 5, 18-31. So that's what we want to read. But just to give you a kind of a little clarity of what has happened, Nebuchadnezzar's died, Balthazar's taken over. Right? That's kind of how it went, worked back then. They just it went through the lineage, or whoever they decreed would be the next king, whoever took over, you know, whatever, uh, whatever the kingdom went through at that season, it would go to this next ruler. Belshazzar was that man. All right? Well, we pick up in this chapter, in the last chapter, it's talking about Nebuchadnezzar, we pick up here, and Belshazzar's in control, right? He's ruling. And it says that they were having a great feast, a great party with all kinds of nobles and his wives and concubines, the, the who's who of the time at that, at that, in that era of history. And they brought out, it says that they brought out from the coffers and everything all the, the, the plates and the cups and everything that had been taken from the most holy of holies that had been taken from the temple when Nebuchadnezzar had ransacked Jerusalem and he brought it back to their kingdom. They took it out and they were drinking this, this foreign wine, drinking these things, offerings that had been given to pagan gods and whatnot. And they were using these holy implements that God had set up through Moses and Aaron and all these things through the, through the Levite line over history to be used for God's holy purpose. They were using it for, to, they were defiling it basically. They were using it in improper ways, in ways that was not pleasing to God. So it says, during this point, that there was a, a hand appeared, a, a, a spectral ghostly kind of a hand that appeared, and, and began uh, right across from Belshazzar and began to write on the wall. Okay, Confused everybody, threw everybody in, into like a, a tizzy. They didn't know what it was. And, and Belshazzar called all of his, 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 his thinkers, his wise men, his astrologers, uh, all these men to come and to look at this to try to interpret it. And ultimately he brought Daniel forward and Daniel is where that's where we catch up here. Daniel is able to interpret this but also in, in a sense kind of scold and educate Belshazzar on what's going on and, and, and help him to realize hey this is the reality of the situation right now. This is the reality of what you're going through what you're facing right now. So let's talk about success and pride. Okay? At what point in your life do you think that you have arrived? You've made it. You've reached some level of success. I know as a teenager when I was able to drive and to go out and be on my own, I was viewed as I viewed myself as successful. Right? I was successful because I could do that. You know, we all have different ideas or definitions of what success may be. For for some it might be maybe some level of wealth. You reach some level of wealth and, and you have a house with so many, you know, bedrooms and a two car garage and, and you're you're wealthy. You have this certain car, you're out of debt, and you think it's you have reached a, a level of success. For some people Having a family is a big part of what they think means to be a successful person, a successful woman or man, a successful human is to have a family, a healthy, happy family. You know, other people, it might be the position that you're successful when you own a company, when you run a company, when you're a manager, when you're so far up in the ladder, then you are successful. And then others tie success to their education, their knowledge, or their training, or what they know, that they're successful when they get this certificate, get this degree, get this piece of paper. We all have different ideas of what success means. But I think as we read the scripture, we're introduced to Belshazzar, we can understand that Belshazzar found himself and thought of himself as a successful man. He had great wealth, 
had all kinds of things that had been, been taken and procured and, and stolen and ransacked from, by his predecessors from other kingdoms, other cities, other empires that they had uh, taken over in his coffers and everything. He had all kinds of wealth there. He's a wealthy, wealthy man. He was also a king. He was a king of a, of a very fearsome and significant empire at that time. We see that obviously it was on the downturn that it's turned over to the Medes and the Persians by the end of this chapter, but, but still it played a significant part in history, the Chaldean Empire and, and Nebuchadnezzar and all these things. It was powerful and significant, and he was the king of this kingdom. He was the king of this empire. So, so he viewed himself as successful. Though he'd done nothing to earn or garner these accolades himself, he still viewed himself as a successful person. But ultimately, we see that the Belshazzar's success, they led to a, a great level of pride. Right? A great, a great level of pride. When you see that in verse 23, it says, Instead, this is Daniel talking to him, Instead you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. The vessels from his house were brought to you, and you and, you, and, you and your nobles, wives and concubines, drink wine from them. You praise the gods made of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, in stone, which do not see or hear or understand, but you have not glorified the God who holds your life breath in his hand and who controls the whole course of your life. Okay, so I want to point out two things. It says, it says you have exalted yourself. Yeah. And then it talks about how they praised gods made of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Now let me educate you, just so you understand. These gods that they talked about, they were handmade by their craftsmen. Sometimes the king or the emperor would have a say-so or part in it. He was oftentimes associated with the religious parts. He oftentimes was the head of their religious group, their organizations, their, their religions and whatnot. He would oftentimes take part in the sacrifices and whatnot. And he would oftentimes receive much of the, the bounty that came into their, their religious organizations, their religious houses and stuff. But they praised these gods that they themselves had made. Thus, they were praising themselves for creating and, and making them these gods. And that, that's what Daniel says. You have exalted yourself. You've looked at your wealth. You've looked at your coffers. You've looked at these gods that you've created. You've looked at the map of the stretches of your empire and the borders, how far they go between city and city and between border and border. And you have thought highly of yourself. You have exalted yourself. Your success, that you, your, your things that you've deemed successful have turned into this place of pride. This place of, of pride. Then we can do that as well. You know, in the best of seasons in life when things are going great and things are going well for us and everything's just lining up like, like dandy. Everything's just coming together. All the pieces that we've been working on are just finally aligning. They're really coming into place. It's easy. And sometimes it feels good just to step back and think, man, look at what I've done. Look at what I've gathered. Look what I have, have made. Look what I've created. Look what I, I'm a ruler over my own little kingdom. It might not have borders. And it might not have any kind of government or, or big things. But it's your little kingdom. It's your little piece, slice of heaven. It's your place. You're Mufasa and you take your child up to the edge of the road and you say, Look, child, everything between this rickety fence and this rickety fence is yours to have. And you have your little kingdom. And you have your little slice of heaven. Your little slice of paradise, it's yours. And, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with being, being proud of what, what, where, you've come from, where you've come. But it's very easy to slip from that place of being proud of what you, you've been able to do in your life and how far you've been able to come and slip into a place of being prideful, being full of, of pride. And there's a distinct 
difference and a line that it's easy to cross that goes from, from nothing wrong with into a sinful mindset and from a sinful way to approach and to view things. And that is what we see with Belshazzar. He slipped, it's one thing if he would just look at his map and say, man, we're doing good. Things are going good. The coffers are full. You know, people are, you know, they seem pretty happy. Yeah, I'm, I'm a king over them, and they might not like me all that great. But they're doing okay. Nobody's uprising right now. Nobody's right. We're doing okay. And he could have looked and been fine with that. But he took it to a place where he was arrogant in his pride. Arrogant in his deemed successes and what he had done. And he thought he was great because of what he had accomplished. And it's very easy to look at our successes in life and slip into a place of being full of pride. And that's a dangerous place to be. And we can see that unfold here throughout the rest of this scripture. So I, I, I want to talk about this idea of acknowledging truth, but ignoring his, ignoring God's, God's work, right? Verse 29, it's an interesting verse. It goes through all this. Daniel goes through and he says, Hey, Nebuchadnezzar, your predecessor, he, he, he had a great thing going and everything, and then he kind of just forsook, you know, he didn't give God any kind of glory, and he kind of went a little crazy, and he started eating with the donkeys and whatnot. Not the kind of example you want, but then he finally realized that God, the high God, God of glory and majesty and mercy, he's the one over all this. And, he, and that's how he kind of left. He, that's kind of how Nebuchadnezzar's story. And he said, but you, you're just arrogant. You've exalted yourself. You're arrogant. You're all about all the things that you want. And you ignore the God that is, able, that is over all the kingdoms of man. And then he goes here. This is then Belshazzar after basically getting chewed out by Daniel. After being towed up the river. This is then Belshazzar gave an order. And they clothed Daniel in purple, placed a gold chain around his neck, and issued a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Why does he say that? Verse 16. So you go back a few verses. So this is when the hand first presents itself and everything, and he gives this proclamation. He says, However, I have heard that you that, that heard about you that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Therefore, if you can read this inscription and give me its interpretation, you'll be clothed in purple, have a gold chain around your neck, and have the third highest position in the kingdom. So what But Belshazzar is saying, if you can do this, read the inscription, and give its interpretation. If you can do that accurately to where I believe you, and you're giving me the truth of what it says, I'll give you this stuff. So then he goes and he gives them that stuff. So what is Belshazzar saying? He's saying, I believe you. Yeah, everything you said is true. This proclamation, this interpretation, this prophecy that you've given about, about what this writing on the wall is and what it says and what it means for me and my kingdom, I believe you. I believe what you just said. What you said is the truth. I don't have any doubt. I'm not questioning the truth. I'm not questioning the validity of it. It is true. But what happens next? Nothing. Nothing happens next. We go from him giving all this to Daniel to the next verse. Belshazzar died. And Darius, the mean, is given ruler of the, rulership of the kingdom at the age of 62. A lot of times in Scripture, and I, my mind goes to, to Nineveh and Jonah particularly, there's instances where God has given a, a decree of consequences for a person's or a city's or a community's sin. And once that decree is made, these people would kneel and pray and seek forgiveness from God so those consequences would be waylaid. They would be pushed aside, that they would be put away, that they wouldn't have to face that. We don't see that from Belshazzar. He's told the consequences of his sin, what his pride has done, what his arrogance has brought about, and he does nothing about it. He says, you're right. That's true, Daniel. I believe you. 
What you're saying, the Word of God is heard, gotcha, hear it, and ignores it. And ignores it. Does nothing, at least scripturally, that we can see of any significance to try to compel God, to speak to God, to cry out to God, to seek forgiveness, to seek mercy, does nothing, and then ultimately that night, what what Daniel had proclaimed that God had wrote, happens. It wasn't because he didn't believe it was true. He just didn't see enough importance in it to do anything about it to change it. And we fall into that same place sometimes. Do you remember being a child? Some of you, that's a little bit harder than others, maybe. Do you remember being a child and being told by your parent, don't do that? But then you still did it. You received great advice from your parent. They said, don't touch that. Don't go there. Don't go out the door. Don't mess with daddy. He's in a bad mood. And you're going to get it if you mess with dad. Don't mess with mommy. She's had a rough day. And she don't want none of your, your, your sass right now. You just go in your room and you still do it. You still do. Good advice. Helpful advice. Well-meaning advice. And you don't do it. Maybe another example for some of you. Maybe you're married. And you set out to do something. A project at the house. And you have an idea of how to do it, right? And then your spouse comes along and walks up behind you and says, Well, wouldn't it be easier... If you did it this way. And then you in your head's like, yeah, that's a pretty good idea, but but I kind of want to do it, do it this way. So you recognize the advice. You acknowledge that there's some validity to it, but you just ignore it. It's like, I'm going to do it my way anyway. And then 32 hours later, a couple of trips to Lowe's, and a lot of money spent, and you realize, I ain't going to tell her this, but... It would have been a lot easier if I did it. Did it her way. It sounded good when I heard it, but I'd already made my mind up on how I was going to do it, so I, I just thought I could do it. It was, it was just going to be a little bit longer, a little, little bit harder, but it was still going to get the same results, and it, it didn't have the same results. And if you would have just paid attention to it, if you would have just listened to it, if you would have just not only acknowledged it, but you would have went with it, then you would have saved yourself a lot of problems and a lot of hardships and a lot of issues. Belshazzar never questioned the validity of Daniel's statement, of Daniel's interpretation. He trusted Daniel. He knew Daniel was a wise man, had a lot of influence. He'd helped Nebuchadnezzar a lot. He'd been there influential in a great way, in a great capacity in the previous previous kingdom, under the previous king. No reason to question Daniel. He just didn't view it as important enough to do anything about it. Now, how many times have we sat in church and we've heard a sermon, or we've read scripture, or within the relationships that God's blessed us with, we've been challenged or compelled by somebody. It's like, yeah, that's probably right, but I ain't going to change it. There's a king in the mind, and the name, name slips here at this time. Paul goes. Was it Agrippa? It might have been Agrippa. Paul goes to Agrippa and, and, and lays it out. He says, this is who Jesus is, and this is why you need to follow him, and this is, a, this is his story. This is the gospel. And Agrippa says, Paul, you have... Almost persuaded me to be a Christian. Almost persuaded me to be a Christian. Scripture also says in one place, not be not a uh, only a hearer of the word, but a doer also. It's easy to read scripture. It's beautiful. It just, just from a literary standpoint, some of the Psalms and the Proverbs are beautiful writing. And from a historical standpoint, reading the early church and, and reading about the, the Hebrew culture, the Old Testament, and the Torah and stuff, that stuff is, is great. So just from a literary standpoint, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful piece of literature. But if you just read it, 
They don't do anything with it. It loses a great amount of its significance and impact and authority in your life. Yeah, but. I hear it, but. It's true, but. It has importance, but. There's something to it, but. That sounds good. I should probably do it, but. It's not enough to take that next step. To go a little bit farther with it, to 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 have a make it have a little bit more importance in your your life. And I I look at this scripture, and you look at this, and it just amazes me. It just amazes me. Belshazzar gets chewed out. I mean, there's no other way to say it. He gets chewed out by Daniel. Gets chewed out, laid out. He's the king. He could have had him put to death. He should have said, "I don't like what you're saying," but he says, "It's right." I can't challenge you on it, but I don't have to do anything about it. And I don't have to change anything. And I don't have to rectify it in any way. I'm just going to let it be. You're right, Daniel, but I ain't going to change anything about it. And we need to recognize those times and situations in our life where we read Scripture, we hear a sermon, or, or whatever it is, and, and when we get to that point where we receive it, we acknowledge it, we hear it, we understand it, and then we get a choice. We get a choice to move up to it, to apply it to our life, to do something about it, or just leave it be. Or just leave it be. And that's the choice we have to make. And that's the choice that Belshazzar was faced when he decided to do nothing about it. And there's a reason why, within Belshazzar's character, that really hindered him from being able to and being willing, not able, being willing to do anything about it. So real quick, let's talk about submitting to God. Okay? We talked about how Belshazzar had a great, he was prideful basically, right? He had a great level and, and significant pride in his life. He had a pride issue, a pride problem, right? And there's danger to pride. When we talk about pride, it's a bad thing, right? So you shouldn't be proud, you shouldn't you know, be, be prideful, you know, humble yourself. We talk about that, but, but why is pride so dangerous? It's not just because it's something that's looked bad, looked looked down upon in society. It's not just because it's something that people don't like, characteristic that people don't like. He's a proud person. I don't want to be around him. That's not the reason pride is scorned and hated in Scripture. Pride is dangerous. Pride is dangerous to humanity, to people, to the individual, to families, because pride blinds us of our wrongs and failures and struggles. We look at what we have done, our accomplishments, our successes. They think, my successes are so great, how could I do anything wrong? We get to a point sometimes where we, it seems like maybe sometimes everything we've done is right. It's going good. Every decision we make, we're golden. You know, everything we touch, it works out right. We get this sense where we can't do any wrong. I can't do anything wrong. Right? You know, if you've been a teenager, you've been a parent, you'll say it about teenagers. you say, well, they can't be, they, they're, they're never wrong. But we all have that mentality. We get to that place. Scripture in the Old Testament says in one place, and I think it's Proverbs, says let every man be right in his own eyes. And that's what it is. Every man, every woman, every individual that's ever lived in their life is right in their own eyes because of pride. Because of pride. Pride is so dangerous because it gets you to a point where you don't seek and, or feel like you need the help from anybody. Why do I need so-and-so's help? What have they done? What have they done 
that I should listen to them? What successes do they have? What does their resume look like that gives me any pause or reason to listen to them, to give them say-so, to give them authority, to to give them a voice in my life? Because you're so prideful of what you have done and what you view that you have accomplished and your successes that you're blind to all the other voices that are that maybe no doubt God is sending to speak into your life. And that's where Belshazzar lies. He's so proud of what he, feel like, he feels like he's accomplished as king of this great empire, of, 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 of owner of all great wealth and land and property and all these things. That, that why should I listen to this man? Yeah, he might be right, but... But look at how great I am. Why should I just listen to this person that's over under me? Ultimately, this person that is a slave, that works at my behest, under my rulership, why should I listen to him? I ain't going to change. I ain't going to do anything different. I ain't going to make any modifications or rectify anything in my situation or life. Because why should I listen to him? Because look at how good I'm doing on my own. I don't need anybody's help. I don't need anybody's advice. I don't need anybody to speak into my life. I don't need anybody to offer me a hand. I don't need anybody. And Belsas are needed to listen and to heed the words that Daniel spoke and what Daniel had to say. But he didn't because of, of pride. Pride's just not something that's unattractive and people don't want to be around. Pride is dangerous to her well-being. Could you imagine a situation that might seem like an extreme situation, but could you imagine being on the side of the road and your car's teetering on the edge and, and just some uh, average joke comes along and says, if you move back a little bit, you might be able to get the car to turn back, but you're like, who are you? Don't you know who I am? All that I've done, all that I've accomplished, all that I've been able to do within my own power and strength and knowledge and authority, why should I listen to you? And ultimately what happens? Pride has killed that man. They might not put pride down on his death certificate, but that's what killed that man. Because he was too prideful to listen and to heed any word from anybody. Because look at what he had done. Why should I listen to anybody else? Why should I heed anybody else? Why should I follow anybody else? And that is the danger of pride. So what does... What is God's idea of success? If, if our idea of success oftentimes leads to pride, right? That's what it leads to a lot of times. Because we let our successes mount up and we think, well, we get here and we can do this. We reach this place, reach this level. We start feeling good about ourselves. And it's very easy for that feel-good feeling to turn into pride, right? Because we like that feeling. To feel, oh, I did this. I accomplished this. I made this. I fixed this. I put this together. I, I was able to, to do this in my, on my own. And that good feeling, it's very easy for it to turn into something unhealthy. During the pride. So what does God's view and God's idea of success look like? Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 I think is one of the, the best illustrations of what God desires for success and how God views success of what God wants for us with success. Okay, so Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 says this. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate, it, meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Good success. So what does this scripture say? What is God saying to Joshua will lead him to good success? What does God say? 
meditate in it day and night, the book of the law, which for them was the Torah, that's all that Joshua had, but for us it's the Holy Scriptures, you know, the, in, in the books of the Bible, okay? This book of the law. So meditate in it day and night, and observe to do according to all that is written in it. I broke it down as this. Know God through knowing His Word. And submitting to God by being obedient to His Word. Know God. Write it down if you want to. I should make a slide of it. Know God by knowing His Word. And submitting to God by being obedient to His Word. Right? Those two things are key attributes to leading to what God views as success. To what God views as a successful life. Like I said at the first, there's, there's all kinds of ideas what it means to be successful. It's subjective. It's a subjective idea. There's no definitive, you know, Webster's Dictionary doesn't have a clear definition of, of certain levels and certain attributes to have that make you successful, right? You ask any number of people, you ask political leaders, you ask the, the, the guy at the, the plant, and you ask somebody who drives a truck, you ask all kinds, they're going to have different ideas of what success is. It's a subjective idea. So if it's so subjected to humanity that no matter how much you feel like you're successful in your own life, that somebody else might view you as a poor and a pauper, then why don't we look at what God's idea of success is and seek that level of success? Because why do we seek success? I mean, let's be honest. Why do we seek success? Because we feel like it gives us more influence amongst our peers. That if I'm more successful, more people will like me. If I'm more successful, my life with people would be easier. My marriage would be easier if I had more money. My life with my kids would be easier if I could give them more. My life would be easier if I didn't have to work so hard. These things that we think give us success, but they're different for everybody. But what, so why don't we seek to be successful in God's eyes? Because you could ask me the life that I think you should live to be successful. And I can give you, and I can spout out some stuff. You know, I can tell you things, and, and they might sound good, but that might not lead you to a successful life in God's eyes. You can ask your parents. They'll give you good advice. We should heed our parents' advice. I encourage that. That's why God gave us parents and stuff. But but if you're listening to them over what God is, where God is leading you, then they're not, their choices aren't going to lead you to God's idea of success. You can read, and you can talk to all kinds of people, and you can look up and research and on all kinds of ways that you can be successful in life, but they aren't guaranteed to lead you to the life of success that God wants for us. And that's because God's idea of success is insurmountably different than our ideas of success. One kind of final point. Look at what it says. It says we'll have good success. It doesn't just say success, right? Because success is subjective. It's subjective. It's not saying you'll be successful in what you want to be. It's not saying meditate day and night. It's not saying know God by His Word, follow Him and submit to Him through by obeying His Word, and you'll be successful. It doesn't say to do that and you'll be a good Olympian. You'll be a good this or that. That you'll find success in, in politics. You'll find success in, your, in whatever it is that you're trying to be. That's not what it says. It says you'll have... Good success. Good success. The very idea of there being good success entails that there must be a, a bad success. And a lot of times a lot of the success that we seek 
probably falls more into the bad success than the good success. The good success is success that is, is pleasing to God. It's a life that is successful by God's definition and by God's idea. And if you do these things, you'll be a successful Christian. You'll be a successful follower of Christ. You'll be a successful disciple. You will find success in your in your spiritual walk. You'll find success in your, your, your spirituality and your interactions with people for the, for the love of God and for the glory of God. You'll find success in those areas. It doesn't mean that you'll have the finances that you think bring success. It doesn't mean that you'll have the home that the American dream says means you're successful. It doesn't even mean that your family will be all hunky-dory and happy and everything, and that you won't struggle to have a kid and you won't struggle to go through life with your family and your spouse. It doesn't mean that. But it means that in, on God's idea and on God's level and in God's plan for your life that you will find success. The Bible says that the Son of God didn't even have a place to lay his head. And by the definitions of success at that time, that was not very successful. If Joseph just looked at his son as just his son and didn't think of the divine nature of him, you think, man, why does he not just pick a career and follow it? Why does he not just try to have some level of success? I gave him these skills to be a carpenter. He knows how to do this trade. Why doesn't he follow my idea of success for his life? Because that wasn't his, his idea of what success was. He was seeking a good success, a godly success, a divine success. So let us seek that same idea of success in our own lives. Let us pray for that same success in our children's lives. Yeah, I sit and I have hopes and dreams for Harper. But the biggest thing I hope for her is that she knows Jesus Christ. Amen. That she becomes a leader and a lover of God. That she leads people to Christ. And that she has a connection with Him that, that just can't just be wishy-washy and just tossed to and fro. And let that be our definition of success for kids. Yeah, they might grow up and be a custodian. But if they know Jesus, they know the greatest thing that could ever be there for them. We can hope that they work out, that things work out right, things go well for them, and that they can provide for us when we're old and take care of us and everything and give us nice vacations in Tahiti and Hawaii. But that doesn't define success. Might be nice. That doesn't mean they're success. The success is when they know Jesus. The success is when you know Jesus. And when you're drawing closer to Jesus. And when you're leading people to Jesus. And when you're committed to serving. And you're submitting your life to Him through obedience. And following His example. And following His commands. And doing what He tells you to. By knowing who He is. By knowing His scripture. And by submitting to Him by obeying His scripture. That is the success that our Father God desires for us. And that should be the level of success that we desire for ourselves. That we desire for each other. In our church that we desire for our families, that we desire for the community outside, that we desire for each and every individual from the highest person in the world to the lowest person, the homeless person under the bridge. That should be the level of success that we desire for them. Anything else is great, but that should be the bare minimum that we desire for ourselves and for the world around us. Amen. We can't do that if we come from a place of pride because if I know what I'm doing and all my success is up to me, and everything I'm doing is just working out great, then guess what? I don't need to listen to Jesus. I don't need to listen to His Word. I don't need to know who this God fellow is because I know who I am and look at me. I don't need to obey Him because people need to be listening to me because I'm the one that's got the wisdom and the knowledge. Pride will keep you from having success in your life and your relationship with God. 
It'll also keep you from having success in your marriage, and with your children, and your work, and everything. Pride is dangerous. Pride is dangerous. So don't let your success turn into a thing uh, to to pridefulness, right? Recognize that everything, all the good that you can do, all your abilities, all your training, everything, if it wasn't for God, you wouldn't have none of that. If it wasn't for God, you'd be going nowhere. So let's seek to live this out. Let us seek to know God through His Scriptures, through His Word, and to submit to God by obeying His Word. Man, if there was a point that you take home, good success comes from humbling ourselves and submitting to God. Godly success, divine success, spiritual success comes from humbling ourselves and submitting to God.